Welcome to our C3 Grow podcast. Wherever you are today, we hope that this message encourages you. We'd love to see you in person at one of our three locations, Howick, Ormiston, and Suva. Visit c3grow.org for details. Well, I am excited to begin a brand new series today. It's called Wisdom from Above, and it's uh, it's going to be a longer series uh, as far as our preaching series go uh, as we work our way through the incredibly interesting book of James. All going to plan this course of preaching is going to carry us through until a around about mid-October, with a few stops and breathers in between. And um, we're going to do something a little bit awkward now. Uh, We're going to watch a short introductory video, which is playing across all of our locations this morning, Howick, Ormiston, and Suva. The awkward bit is that it's me, and so I just kind of need to stand here while a video of me Uh, plays. So let's get this over and done with. Thanks. Hey there, C3 Grow, Ormiston, Suva, Howick, wherever you are, glad to be with you today as we introduce a brand new sermon series. It's called Wisdom from Above. It's going to take us through most of the rest of the year, and it's a walk through the exciting New Testament epistle of James. Now let me read to you from James 3, verse 17 it says but the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable gentle open to reason full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace now over the course of this series we are seeking to grow in wisdom and in understanding so that we might live in a fruitful way with God with each other and with those who we are called to reach. Looking at James is also a great opportunity for us to explore what wisdom looks like in various areas of life. So I want to encourage you, let's really lean in in this season and listen for God to speak to us through his word uh, through the book of James. Uh, Starting today, I'm excited for it. This is going to be a great series. We'll see you soon. That guy's excited for it. Okay, so as you just heard, this series is about wisdom. James talks about a wisdom that comes from above in chapter 3. And uh, we're seeking to hear from God's word that wisdom that comes from above uh, and uh, let it speak to a variety of areas in our life. James was the half-brother of Jesus. By that, we don't mean that he had a different father than Joseph or a different mother than Mary. We mean that he was the natural son of Joseph and Mary, while Jesus, of course, was immaculately and uniquely conceived by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit to Mary as a virgin in order that he might circumvent the transmission of a sinful nature and be fit to die a vicarious death for sin in our place. But I say that to say that James knew Jesus better than most. He has an interesting and unique perspective on who Jesus was. However, in addition to being intimately familiar with the person and the teaching of Jesus, James was also obviously very well versed with the wisdom literature 
of the Old Testament scriptures. So he comes to us this morning walking simultaneously in the footprints uh, and the wake of both King Solomon and King Jesus. So much so that his epistle is often referred to by scholars as the Proverbs of the New Testament. His goal in writing this letter to us is to steer us towards wise living, that is living well and living right with both God and man. So this is a guy that's worth listening to. This is a subject that's worth engaging with. And we're going to start this morning, we're going to start the series reading James 1, verses 1 through to 4. If you have your Bibles, open them up to James chapter 1, verses 1 through to 4. I'm reading from the ESV. From here we read, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the, the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, one of the reasons why I chose James and the subject of wisdom for us to make our focus over the coming months is because I consider this series and this course of preaching to have the potential to be both very helpful and very practical. Because the book of James is a very helpful and a very practical book. As we start James's letter, verse 1, he introduces himself and he addresses his audience. In verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. This kind of introduction uh, at the top of the letter, not the end like we uh, have ours, this is customary uh, in, in the time. You'll notice that all of the uh, New Testament epistles have this kind of introduction. Now, we could say a few things about verse 1 if we wanted to, but we won't. We won't because... As far as these kinds of introductions go, the most startling thing about it to me is its brevity. Do you notice how brief it is compared to some of the other New Testament epistle introductions? It's almost as if James uh, wants to do the bare minimum here because he's, he's most keen to launch straight into the task of helping us to know how we are to live in this world. And that's a good thing, isn't it? It's a good thing because in this life, we need uh, more than flowery introductions. We need to learn and we need to know uh, how to live in this world as believers. So we move on to verse 2. Now, uh, of all of the things that he could have chosen to begin this letter with, of all of the things that we believers need wisdom from above for in order to negotiate life well. This is what he chooses to open with. He opens with the ominous yet somehow refreshing declaration of the obvious truth that the Christian life is not a trouble-free reality. It's not a trouble-free reality. Rather, our lives include trials. It includes 
trouble. So James affirms that in your life, you will meet trials of various kinds. You don't need to go looking for them. They will come looking for you. You just go about your life, do your thing, and they will meet you along the way. J.B. Phillips, who I really love, uh, he, he wrote a paraphrase of the New Testament, and he paraphrases verse 2, the dilemma of verse 2 in this way. He says, all kinds of trials and temptations will crowd into your lives, my brothers. And, and I love that. That, to me, is a beautifully apropos depiction of this annoyingly common experience that our lives can get crowded by trials. Crowded. I mean, we almost always have a wrestle with some kind of trouble or some kind of problem on the go, don't we? That's just life. But how many of you know what it's like to feel crowded by trials? Maybe your life feels crowded by trials on account of the large, dark shadow of a particular issue that you're contending with that is so significant that it robs you of your ability to think about anything else or even just park it over here for a moment so you can enjoy the good things in your life. Your whole life is thoroughly consumed by the vexing effect of a particularly large and troubling issue. It's like a total eclipse, robbing your life of light. I know that experience. Or maybe your life feels crowded by trials on account of various kinds of hardships and difficulties and troubles and sufferings and they're all coming at you all at the same time. You have a niggle at work. You have a niggle at home. You have a relational niggle. You have a health niggle. The cliche, of course, is that uh, trouble comes in threes. And life can be like that sometimes. Trials of various kinds sneak up on you. They blindside you from various directions and various areas of life. And while you may be able to contend with any one of those little problems on their own, it's hard to deal with them all at once. They just outnumber, they overwhelm us. Our life is crowded by little trials. Either way, I'm sure all of us know what it is to feel like our lives are crowded by all kinds of trials and temptations. So, of course, the question is, when you're being crowded by trials and troubles, what do you do? Now, worldly wisdom offers all kinds of ideas as to what we ought to do in the day of trouble but they're not very good ideas. They sound like good ideas, but they don't work. So what does James say? He says something that doesn't sound like a very good idea, but will actually work. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What an amazing thing to say. 
I mean, if this wasn't the word of God, we would just write James off as being a loon, wouldn't we? Because most of us live our lives desperately trying to steer ourselves and to steer our families away from the path that takes us towards the rocks of trial and trouble. But here, James says, if you want to know a fullness of joy, then you're going to experience it in, or at the very least, having gone through times of trial and times of trouble. Now, this is J.B. Phillips' uh, full treatment of James 1 verse 2. He says, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Now, notice something here from James. He doesn't say, it's all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. What a great day it is when your life gets crowded by trouble. What a wonderful experience it is when everything's going wrong. He doesn't say that. He says, count it all joy. In other words, what it is is one thing. What you'll count it to be is another. Or to put it another way, trouble and problems in life are inevitable. But your attitude in the day of trouble is optional. And it makes a big difference. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, why? Why would you do that? And how? How do you do that? Well, here comes the answer from James. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know. I love that phrase. Because it's natural to feel all sorts of ways when you encounter trials of various kinds. But it is supernatural to bring how you feel under the authority of what you know. Now, James is writing to believers here. He assumes that they know, or at the very least that they know enough to receive from him, that the testing of your faith produces. One of the most redeeming things about trials and the difficulties of various kinds that we face in life is that they can actually be productive. They, they don't need to be arbitrary. Through them, we can derive benefit. They produce benefit. Now, I want you to listen to this. When trials and difficulties come, and they inevitably will, the, the perspective with which we view them and the spirit in which we respond to them will determine the benefit that we derive from them. I'm going to say that again. When trials come, and they inevitably will come, the perspective with which we view them and the spirit in which we respond to them will determine the benefit that we derive from them. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces 
steadfastness. Other translations, uh, like the NIV, says that the tests of life produce perseverance. The NASB says endurance. The NLT, which I liked the best, says that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Now, receiving all of the promises of God in the fullness of time depends on your steadfastness or your perseverance to the end. And there are so many scriptures that speak to this. I'm just going to show you two of my favorites. The first is just several verses down the page from where we are right now. So you know that it wasn't very far from James's mind when he wrote that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, I won't say too much more about that this morning because we're going to be looking at that in a few weeks' time. But just one book back, just before James, you have the book of Hebrews. Just turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 35. The author writes, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. To receive what is promised, which is of great reward, you have need of endurance. And here's the thing. God sovereignly, carefully utilizes the trials of life that come our way to cultivate endurance in us so that we might persevere in faith with a greater confidence and receive the rewards of his promise in the end. Now, if you take that attitude into the season and the day of trouble, it'll fill your heart with hope. And that hope will help you to persevere. Let's continue on into verse 4. So we're going to reread verse 2 to 3 for the sake of context and then continue on into verse 4. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Remember our church's scripture, Ephesians 4.15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's speaking of a kind of spiritual maturity that we are all 
aiming for in our lives, that Christ would be formed in us to an even greater extent. Don't we all want that? And the truth of James 1 verse 4 is that that kind of maturity does not occur in our lives without the endurance of trials. It won't. Whenever you meet someone who's a little further along than you in the faith, with gentle eyes and a kind spirit and a maturity of Christ that you aspire to, I want you to know that that hasn't been won without persevering through trials. It hasn't been. Most people today want a crown without any need for perseverance. Most people want to be glorified without any kind of process of sanctification and certainly without the experience of going through the refining fire of trial. But if we comprehend the fullness of what could be achieved and what could be produced through taking the right attitude and the right spirit into the trial, even though none of us love the day of trial, but if we comprehended the big picture of what God is doing in our lives, then, as Philip said, we might not resent them as intruders, but rather we might welcome them as friends. So let's pray together for a moment as we, as we draw to a close. Father, Father, I pray for us together and in a group of this size, it's natural to expect that there are numerous people today who would be going through some kind of trial. And there would be many under the sound of my voice today who would identify with their lives being crowded by trials. Today I pray that they would know a fullness of joy in the midst of their trial. Guide them by your Spirit. Teach them how to approach this time of life with a Spirit that produces steadfastness and give them hope of great reward in the fullness of time. We pray for breakthrough. Yes, we do. We pray for times of trouble to be alleviated and times of refreshing to come. But most of all, we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. 
and let us be conformed into the image and the likeness of your Son. Whatever the cost, whatever the means. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. For more information about our church, you can find us online at c3grow.org.